here we go. It is, I guess, episode one of the newly improved Stick to Hockey live show. It's a live stream. It'll be available on demand. It's the Stick to Hockey podcast, and it's going to be awesome and a lot of fun. And as luck would have it, we have plenty to talk about today with the firing of Elaine Vigneault. First, got to thank our sponsor. That is Park Sportsbook. And they have been awesome through this whole process to relaunch Stick to Hockey Live and to bring it back. And we're going to tell you about the great things that Park Sportsbook has to offer, uh, including the, the, the easiest and best app and betting experience for whatever you want to wager on. And we'll talk about hockey wagering as well. We'll do that in this episode. But you got to get the Park Sportsbook app. It's so easy to use. Live in-game betting, uh, live play-by-play betting, which is so much cooler than betting money lines and puck lines and all that stuff first to score so much cool stuff and if you sign up right now you get a $500 risk-free bet which is awesome and that'll be credited on your account if you lose that bet and you can bet on just about everything it's all there so easy to use either or that uh, download the app or go to parkscasino.com slash pa and check it out there all the details if you're somebody who hasn't really gotten into sports betting and live sports betting you can bet as little as you want, so there's not a lot of risk involved. So make sure you check it out. Download the Park Sportsbook app, and we'll be telling you about it uh, throughout the podcast as well and all the different uh, ways you can get in on the action, which is is a lot of fun. And, you know, you can follow them on Twitter as well, far, at Park Sportsbook. Make sure you follow them there. As a matter of fact, there's daily features and daily bonuses. Also on Instagram, on Facebook, YouTube, all the places that we're broadcasting this Stick to Hockey Live content as well and this is going to be such a fun venture we have episodes every monday and thursday at one o'clock they will be live chance for you to interact as well you can put your comments in if you're watching on youtube or uh, the different ways you can consume this facebook and we're going to interact with the audience we're going to have great guests including in this episode adam kimmelman from nhl.com is going to join us in just a couple of moments We'll talk about all the ramifications of the Elaine Vino firing, the start to the season for the Flyers and everything else. Uh, and also uh, an old friend, Russ Cohen, going to join us on this episode as well. So a lot to talk about when it comes to not only the Flyers, but the NHL. And, you know, the the news that comes down this morning, and we'll bring Adam Kimmelman in, in just a couple of moments, but the news that comes down this morning that Elaine Vino has been relieved of his duties and is no longer the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Michelle Terrian, uh, the assistant coach, and of course the coach that uh, coached the power play, also relieved of his duties. So there's a lot to discuss. One line that really kind of jumped out to me in the press release that was uh, issued by the Flyers. It says the Flyers have relieved head coach Elaine Vigneault and assistant coach Mike Terrian of their duties effective immediately, according to president of hockey operations and general manager Chuck Fletcher. Mike Yo will serve as the Flyers' interim head coach for the club's game tonight versus the Colorado Avalanche at Wells Fargo. The part that says for the club's game tonight really stuck out to me. Chuck Fletcher did meet with the media, so we'll talk about that as well With uh, coming up with uh, Russ Cohen. And right now with Adam Kimmelman, he joins us and joins the Stick to Hockey Live podcast. And uh, from NHL.com, you can give him a follow on Twitter at NHL Adam K. Adam, uh, how you doing? Uh, a little bit surprised at everything that kind of went down today? Uh, surprised? Yes and no. You know, I really, I thought things had been progressing in the direction that we were going to see a coaching change here. Just, you know, teams can't lose eight in a row and, and not have something get done. But I thought, I'm a little bit surprised that they decided to do it on the back end of a back-to-back. It really puts the players in a tough spot. It really puts Mike Yo in a tough spot for, you know, what can you change in less than 24 hours? So, it's a really hard spot for them to be in tonight. It's going to be a really difficult game. Uh, you know, you ratchet that up by having to play a Colorado Avalanche team that's a little angry, having lost Saturday night in overtime. You know, they can see the end of a road trip. Nathan McKinnon is back and he's healthy. They're going to get Kale McCarr back in the lineup tonight. So Oof. all in all, it's, it's going to be a very long, very difficult night for the Flyers tonight. Yeah. You know, you look at those holes in the schedule. If a coaching change is going to come and, and you go, OK, does it make sense to do it here? Because you want a new staff to come in, have a few days, get acquainted, you know, find out where the showers and the bathrooms are and all that stuff and, and have a couple of days of practice. But they just kicked off five games in seven days. To, to me, did, did the Bruce Boudreaux thing have anything to do with kind of the timing here or was it a combination of last night and Bruce going off the board and maybe he was an option as well? 
Well, I can't speak to to Bruce Boudreaux if he was a possibility or not, but I think to your point that they did have gaps in the schedule. You know, if they were going to do something, maybe they'd do it after the New Jersey game. They had a couple of days off because of the situation with the Islanders and they had a game postponed there. So they had a little bit of a break and they had a little bit of a break after the Ranger game on Wednesday. If you were going to make that decision, maybe that was the, the time to do it. But, you know, I think all along Chuck Fletcher has been pretty consistent and he reiterated it again today that, you know, he was hoping to get a couple guys back from injury, hoping they could kind of turn things around here because he, he really doesn't feel like he's had the chance to judge all of what he has. He hasn't had Ryan Ellis in the lineup. Kevin Hayes has played only four games. Broussard is out. Thompson's out. Patrick Brown has been out. You know, he doesn't really be, feel like he's been able to see all of what he has. However, you have a game like you had last night, you know, coming off the heels of, of a few days off in the Ranger game. And, you know, they've had practice time and then games and it hasn't been there. And it wasn't there last night in a really, really bad way. They played five really good minutes and then the rest of it just sort of disappeared. So, you know, I, I think am I surprised a change came? No. Am I a little bit surprised by the timing of it? Yeah. But I think the timing had come. Yeah. When you see last night, because, you know, in the game against the Lightning, the Lightning were playing three games in four days, four games in six days, five games in seven days. So much so that when I looked at the Park Sportsbook app, last night's game against the Lightning, we know what the Lightning are as a team, two-time cup champs, how good they are. Yeah, they're missing Kucherov and Point. But they come into that game last night against the Flyers who were reeling, losing seven straight going in, and the line on the game was even money. That tells you how much of a disadvantage five games in seven days is. And then you go out, and like you said, they had good – first five minutes then they give up back-to-back goals within a minute of each other and then it's the death march and then that I mean you're almost forced to do something at that point because they're not that far out of the mix in the wild card you consider Detroit's one of those teams and they have games in hand you can't afford to wait any longer no I, I and I think Chuck sort of got into that today that he could see the hole getting deeper and deeper and you look at the calendar and it's December already and you're already you know seventh in an eight-team division that is the hardest division in the league. So there's a lot of ground that they have to make up and the time's going to get really short here. So you're in the midst of this really, really ridiculously hard five game and seven day stretch. It, it, it started out about as poorly as you could, as you could imagine. And now, you know, the onus is on the new coach and, and whatever staff Mike goes able to build around him and the players to dig themselves out of it. And it's going to be a long, hard road. And, you know, Mike said something that, that caught my attention was he's been through this before. He took over in St. Louis, replaced Ken Hitchcock midway through a season, got the ship righted, and that team was able to make the playoffs in St. Louis. So what around, yeah. Yeah. So and I and I believe they eliminated a, a Chuck Fletcher led Minnesota Wild team. Correct. So you know, <laughs> it, he has experience. He's been there, he's done that. And look, the the issues that the team has had not necessarily on the defensive side of the puck. Have the defensemen as a group been great? No, but the penalty kill has been better. The goaltending has been better. And the penalty kill certainly for, for sure falls on Mike Yo's shoulders. So, you know, there are some positives there that, that he can sort of bring into the game. But the biggest thing is it's an attitude. It's a yeah. mindset. It's a, can you play more relaxed? Can you be more relaxed on the offensive side of the puck? And you saw it last night. Guys passing up opportunities to get shots on net, looking for that perfect pass. And Cam Atkinson said it last night after the game. It looks like we're trying to pass the puck into the net. Yeah. And you you know you can't do that. There, there are shooters on this team. There are guys who have scored 20 goals, 30 goals on this team who know how to shoot the puck. Cam Atkinson, Travis Konechny, James Van Riemsdyk. You know, they look tense. They look like they're unsure of themselves, which is what happens when you're in a slump like this. But the easiest thing they can do is is – you know, watch what happened last night, watch what happened the, the last eight games out of their mind and just go out and play because it can't get any worse right now. You know, they are at the bottom right now of, of where they could possibly be. This was far from expected for this team. And now it's just, well, we have nothing to lose. Our coach has been fired. Now we can just go out and, and, and just play, just go out and play. And I think that's what he's looking to see tonight. You can't change X's and O's, you know, the, the game at the night after you played, right? It's just impossible. So it's just go out, rely on your instincts. These guys have been really good players before in the NHL. They know how to be really good players and, and trust that they can be good players again and that they can do the right things that will 
help them win a game. Chuck mentioned process, Adam. He mentioned, you know, the team's process didn't look right. And even when in the beginning of the year, they still didn't have the puck enough, weren't, you know, getting in and creating sustained forecheck pressure and those things. Part of it, you know, maybe the decision to move on from Elaine Vigneault is system related and process as well, because he runs a very aggressive 2-1-2 forecheck. And there, there's a lot of risk that comes with that. So, I mean, w- when you look at it, they're going to have to change their systems eventually. You can't do it right now in quick turnaround from last night to tonight, but they don't have the pieces to run an aggressive two, one, two split four check. Well, I, you know what? It's not a lot different. The, the system that's in place up until last night was the same one that was in place from the start of the 1920 season. And if you go back to when the pandemic came and everything got paused, they had won eight or nine games in a row and were a point out of first place in the division. And then they came back and they were the number one seed in the conference when the playoffs started. So it's not that, that the system didn't work. I just think it wasn't working with this group of players. And I think adjustments needed to be made. And Elaine Vigneault is a guy who's been very successful for a lot of years in the NHL. He's been to the Stanley Cup final twice. He believes in his system, maybe to his detriment at, at the end of the day. Maybe it was an inability to adjust to the personnel that he had and the way they were playing. And, you know, that's what maybe caught up to the Flyers. And and can Mike Yo get those players playing a different way, a, a, a change in the forecheck, a change in a neutral zone structure, you know, whatever it is, there's something there that has to change because, as I said before, there are really good players there, guys who have produced offensively at the NHL level, and they're not producing now. From Sean Couturier to Kevin Hayes to Konechny, you know, JVR, something needs to get those guys going. And, you know, it, it maybe it's Mike Yo just loosening the reins and saying, just go play and rely on your instincts. I, I don't know. I'm not in that locker room, so I don't know what all the message is going to be. But I think it should just be simplifying their game, getting bodies and pucks to the net, and become more of a shot volume team than a team that's looking to make the pretty play and, and to – to make the make you know three passes when a shot and, and some dirty and gritty play will will suffice. Yeah, you gotta simplify. Like you see where all the goals are scored from. Look at the first two Tampa goals. Most of their goals in the game, guys are just around the net rebounds. The Stamkos rebound to Ryan McDonough. It, oh, Corey Perry just hangs out around the net, and what does he do? He scores goals. Like if you go to that spot, you're gonna get you're gonna be able to score. The, the other thing too, Adam, you know when when you look at the the system they're not just like a system for a coach. Like that's a cute word or process that we use, but it really, what it is, is it's a belief system. It's all, it's like a coach's religion. Like Larry Brown, when he was a coach of the Sixers, used to always say, you got to play the right way. Right. And it was like, Oh God, would you stop that? But it's his belief system. So it's not like a coach can just go, Oh yeah, let's go to a one, two, two. That's not their belief system. That's how, not how he became one of the winningest coaches in the league. It's by being aggressive. And even if you don't have the players, it's, oftentimes hard for those guys to pivot. Well, yeah, and and especially when you've had the success that Elaine Vigneault has had Mm -hmm. over all the years he's been a coach. You know, you you say that it it is a belief system. And when your belief system has a track record of working, it's hard to get away from that belief system. It's hard to to adjust to what you know has worked and what you have tangible proof of having worked. That being said, the best coaches are flexible and adaptable and and – Look at the New England Patriots. You know, look at all the different yep. ways they won their Super Bowls. Some years they were very reliant on their defense. Some years they opened up the offense and, and were high-flying, almost run-and-gun, run-and-shoot offense. And then some years they just relied on running the ball. So that's that's a coach who is adaptable and, and willing to be flexible based on how his team was playing in the structure of his roster. I don't know if Elaine Vigneault – was that able to make the adjustments and to be as flexible. And you saw it sort of in his body language and some of the things he said after games during this last little stretch where it almost became, well, just play harder. And that's never really the answer. I think adjustments needed to be made. And he was either, at least from the outside, it appeared he was unwilling or or unable to make those necessary adjustments. And I think that's, a big part of what led us to here today. 
it's a great point. Bill Belichick, I mean, you get Randy Moss, let's just go up and down the field. When I don't have a guy like Randy Moss, then we got to dink and dunk our way down. He was very amenable to change. Uh, when you look at Elaine Vigneault, all said and done, he coaches here parts of three seasons, 147 games, 74, 54, and 19, a 568 winning percentage. Technically speaking, he went 16 in, or in 16 playoff games, 10 and six, but three of those were actually exhibition games. So really it's seven and six. But how would you kind of encapsulate the Elaine Vigno era in Philadelphia? I mean, if I'm coming up with a word, it's um, unfinished business and, and disappointing. Yeah, I, words, I really, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I really thought when when Elaine Vigno got hired that this was going to be this was the right move. This was the right move for this group. This is a guy with a proven track record coming in to take a team that looked really talented on paper and get them over the hump and get them to where they needed to be because his track record showed that he had the ability to do that. And then you can sort of draw that line from the start of the playoffs in 2020 when things started to turn and he was never able to pull the nose up on the ship. He was never able to get things going back where they needed to get to. And whether that's a question of roster building, whether that's a question of player performance or whether that's a question of, of, willingness to be flexible and make adjustments from the coaching room. I don't know, or, or it could be a combination of all of those things, but yeah, I, I think the best of intentions, I think he was the right candidate at the right time. And it just, it's unfortunate that it went the direction that it went. Yeah. One of the things too, that played, I think a piece of this, Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this because we knew when Elaine Vigneault came in that he wasn't necessarily the right guy to come in to, you know, develop young players. That's never been kind of his MO. There was, there was this notion that he hated young players, which I didn't think was accurate, but we have seen players that the Flyers have really been depending on from the Ron Hextall era, from guys like Travis Konechny and Ivan Provorov. And you got young players and Joel Farabee that it's real important that they develop and develop properly right now. And at the NHL level, when you see the regression of some of those young players, uh, that's alarming to me. That's, that's one of those things where I got to go, you know, this is supposed to be the future core of this of this organization in this franchise, and I'm getting real erratic play from Travis Konechny. I'm getting very streaky play from Joel Faraby, albeit it's in year three. But and Ivan Provorov, who's supposed to be a number one defenseman, but is really struggling again right now. And I know he's without Ryan Ellis, but that's got to have a piece of this pie as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was the reputation that that sort of A.V. brought with him to Philadelphia was that he didn't do well with young players. And the reason the Rangers let him go was because they did as they were moving into their rebuilding, they didn't think he would be the right coach for a young group, for a rebuilding group. And then you look at the moves that that Chuck Fletcher made during the offseason. He brings in a Ryan Ellis veteran guy. He brings in, you know, Aristolainen, a veteran guy. He brings in Derek Broussard and Keith Yandel both, you know, older, experienced free agents who have played with Vigneault before, and they put Morgan Frost in, in the American League to start the season, and Cam York, and Igor Zamula. And Chuck admitted as much that it was to buy time for those guys to further develop their game. Are they NHL ready? Were, did they look like NHL players coming out of training camp? Maybe, maybe not, but, you know, the repu- obviously the coach had a hand in, in constructing this roster, and he didn't think they were ready. So, you know, have you seen sporadic play, erratic play from Travis Konechny, inconsistent play? Yeah. Have you seen it from Ivan Provorov? For sure. I think, to me, Ivan Provorov was a guy who should be able to carry his own pair, no matter who he's with, whether yeah. it's a Ryan Ellis or a Nick Sealer or a Ristolainen or a Justin Braun. He should be able to carry his own pair, and I don't think we've seen that yet. So how much does the coach have a hand in all of that? I'm not sure, but I think the goal of Mike Yo or whoever the long-term answer is, the goal is to get those players, as you said, they are foundational pieces along with guys like Farabee and Oscar Lindblom, and to get those guys heading where their potential says they should be heading to. Yeah, part, uh, Provorov shouldn't be partner-dependent, and yeah, that's what it's become since Niskanen left. And, and obviously, he's only played four games with Ryan Ellis, but – it, it, the, the level of player that he is, you know, kind of projected out to be was not partner dependent. And that's, that's been the case. Well, let's talk about Mike Yo because I, I was really taken back at him by the, the press release. Cause there was that specific line I mentioned in the open of the show that uh, Mike Yo will serve as the team flyers interim head coach, 
for the club's game tonight versus the Colorado Avalanche. Maybe, maybe I'm just getting hung up on the word tonight because the press conference with Mike Yo and Chuck Fletcher wasn't indicative necessarily of, of my like kind of going, wow, why did he say tonight? Um, is, is Mike Yo going to get serious consideration? Chuck said there's no promises, but he needed a different voice. Is this just a timing issue that Mike Yo is going to kind of hold it down until the hole in the schedule where they can bring in the next head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers? Or how do you kind of see this playing out? Because, you know, uh, uh, Mike Yo's done a good job in the role that he's been in, but that's not going to wow Flyer fans. You don't make decisions to wow a fan base. You make the right decisions. And there's a lot of names that have been kind of talked about out there from John Tortorella, Boudreaux before a little bit. You you hear Rick Tockett's name quite a bit, maybe a David Montgomery. Uh, who who are the guys that or Jim Montgomery, excuse me, <laughs> who are the guys that you think could kind of fill this void and how much of a realistic chance is it that it's going to be Mike Yo? Well, I, I think what helps Mike is that Chuck Chuck knows him. Chuck yeah. knows him going back to their time in Minnesota together. Chuck hired him. Now Chuck also fired him. Uh, so <laughs> he knows exactly what Mike Yo is capable of, both good and bad. So that being said, I could see this being a 60 plus game you know, work, you know, audition slash interview for Mike Yo getting the full-time job. Are there possible candidates out there in the world? You mentioned a few of them. You know, I don't know if Jim Montgomery's the guy right now because St. Louis is in the middle of its season. I don't know if they're going to be willing to allow the assist, allow an assistant coach to leave midseason. But, you know, there are options out there if Fletcher wants to go that direction. I think – where the Flyers are right now, I think it's okay to give Mike Yo a shot, you know, and like you said, it's not, you, you can't necessarily hire coaches to thrill a fan base. That's really, you know, nobody's paying money to see a coach. Yeah. So you want the best guy who does the best for your team. And look, go back to when Mike Yo got fired in St. Louis. Craig Berube was a question mark. He was an interim guy and he had the interim tag all the way through his time holding the Stanley Cup. After the Blues won it in 2019, they didn't know what they were going to get in Craig Berube. He had a guy who had been fired in Philadelphia. He was really unproven as a head coach. They gave him a shot and it worked out. Can I, I'm not going to say the same thing is going to happen for the Flyers with Mike Yo, but there's no prop. There's no reason that you can't give him a shot for the next 60 plus games and see what he's capable of doing. Can he be the the answer to what plagues them? Certainly, he he's an experienced coach. He has a Stanley Cup on his resume from his time in Pittsburgh as an assistant. He's seen the good. He's seen the bad. He's coached in the playoffs. He's won a round in the playoffs. So, you know, and, and and as I said, the things that have been going right for the Flyers, the penalty kill, the play of the defenseman, have been part of what Mike Yo has overseen on this Flyer staff. So, you know, whether he's going to fix things or not, I think he's going to get the opportunity here, and I don't think it's just going to be for one night. I think he's going to be – it wouldn't surprise me if he was the guy, you know, come the end of the season, he's still behind the bench. I don't know what Chuck Fletcher's thinking. I don't know what his plan is. But, it, like I said, it would not surprise me if he's still the guy by the end of the season. And then, you know, at that point, they can always reevaluate. You know, one of the things that maybe helps in this consideration is the fact that when Chuck Fletcher removed Dave Haxtall as the Flyers coach, he went to Scott Gordon. They got a bump for a bit, but they weren't able to see it all the way through. But he ended up not hiring Scott Gordon. That's when he went out and hired Elaine Vigneault and and the staff with Michelle Terrian and Mike Yo and, and everybody that came in. But why is it in the NHL? I'd love, I'd love your thought on this. I'm trying to figure out why, and I don't know why, but why is it that so many teams that have success, it comes on the heels of a midseason firing. I mean, it's it's got to be the worst job security for a coach because it works so often. You go back to, obviously, 2009, December. This week, as a matter of fact, today was the day Peter LaViolette was, was hired in 2009 to replace John Stevens. They went to the cup final. You saw it, and you just mentioned it, St. Louis and Craig Berube. You saw it in Pittsburgh with Mike Sullivan. We've seen it. We've seen this this movie play out so many times. Why the hell does it seem to work in hockey so much that a midseason coaching change can be can fix a really broken team? Well, you point to a few examples, but what I think it shows is those teams, and you can include. And Mike Yo was involved in one of them yeah. when you know Michelle Terrian was fired in Pittsburgh, and they brought in Dan Bylsma, and they yeah. won a Stanley Cup back in two thousand and eight. So, or two thousand nine, excuse me. So. After going in 2008, by the way. Right. (laughs) I I think what it shows is those teams, 
weren't necessarily broken teams. They were not fundamentally bad teams. They were teams that just needed a new voice in the room. And sometimes it can be the same. It can be a, a, a different voice saying the same things. And somehow the message gets through differently. I think there's also a pride factor among the players who, whether they loved AV, whether they hated AV, whether there's something in between, they still feel responsible for what happened today. And that goes for, and that's just not yeah. him. That goes for any player that's part of a, of a midseason coaching change. The players have a lot of pride in who they are and what they do and whether they love their coach or not. They feel responsible for what happened. So there's some pride there. There's some anger there that they know they need to pull up their socks and do better. And, and part of it is self-preservation. They know that, okay, we changed the coach. The next guy to go could be me. Yep. So there is some, some self-preservation instinct that kicks in. So I think it has happened a few times. You mentioned a couple of times that it has happened. It doesn't work all the time. Didn't happen when they let Haxtell go in and, and they brought in Scott Gordon. There was a little bit of a bump, but it sort of settled back down to where it was. But yeah, I think it, it, it comes down to the players, as it always does. It's what will the players do? How will they react? How will they handle the situation? Will they, you know, answer the bell, for lack of a better term? Because they changed the coach. You're not changing the coach again. The next thing that changes is going to be the roster. The next thing that changes is going to be the players, your friends, your buddies, potentially leaving the room. So it's incumbent upon them to fix what the situation is internally. Yeah, and you look at it, and like a lot, of, a lot of fans will say, and a lot of Flyer fans will say, you know, it's been lather, rinse, repeat. You, you've let the players off the hook again. You fired the coach. There's the culpability. There was a lot of change, obviously, this offseason. Chuck Fletcher turned over almost a third of the roster and got rid of guys like Jake Voracek, who was here a long time, eight seasons. Got rid of guys like Shane Gostisbehere. There's a lot of change. But in the remaining, you know, I guess three quarters of this season that's left, there's only about a, at the quarter pole of the season. When you look at that, Adam, there's a lot of big decisions to make. Claude Giroux is on an expiring contract. Uh, Sean Couturier has a new contract that's going to kick in with a no-move clause. I don't think you ever sign a player with a no-move clause and then trade them before it kicks in. That'd be bad form, and I know players wouldn't look at that too kindly. But you look at all the, the different decisions. Rasmus Ristolainen is on an expiring deal. This season is paramount. I said this on the Flyers broadcast after the Lightning game. You don't want your general manager to just deliver you a head. Like, this isn't Game of Thrones and Ned Stark's head on a spit. You want him to be calculated and make the right decisions, not just make a decision to satisfy the bloodthirst of a fan base. No, and and they and going back to the summer, the moves they made were made because they felt they had a team ready to win now. You don't yeah. trade the capital that they had to acquire a Phil Myers, to acquire a Ristolainen, if you don't feel like you are close to being a team ready to get over the hump and to win and to win big. And you go back to those moves and they look like they, they were all given, maybe with the exception of, of the Keith Yandel signing, they were all given positive winning grades. You know, you don't trade for Cam Atkinson if you don't think you're ready to, to push over the top. So, you know, the fact that those moves didn't work, you know, or at least appear right now to have not worked, you know, I, I think has to give Fletcher some, some a pause to question what he did. But I still think this is a good team. I still think this is a team that, and Claude Drew sort of intimated it last night. If we can just get one win, we can turn all this around because they have guys who have been successful in the past. They have guys who have won and won big in the past. They have guys who have been big offensive producers. It's just right now they're in a hole. And right now they have to figure out a way to dig out of the hole. And Chuck Fletcher did the move that was, you know, at the moment, the, the only one he could make, which was change coaches. You know, if he wanted to make a trade, that's going to be the next step. If he wants to start disassembling the roster, that's the next step because you're not changing coaches again. But I still think there's a lot more that a lot of players have to give. And now it's up to Mike Yo to figure out how to get the most out of those players. Yeah, changing the roster this time of year is tough because, you know, you're coming off a year where there wasn't a lot of fans in buildings. And if a team is start selling off pieces, that's that's a signal to your fan base that we're packing it in for the year with three quarters of the season left. And why even show up when 
we just had empty buildings last year from a revenue standpoint. Like it's not even well, Christmas yet, right? Yeah, I, I don't know if you can look at it that way though. And and here's the other thing, you know, they want to win. This team is still built to win. Yeah, he so wasn't aggressive know... in the offseason to just pack it in the pack right. in the plan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that's the plan right now. Now, if you get closer to the trade deadline and they're still in the situation there, and then you might see some different moves, some different, you know, feelings. But right now, I think they are what they are. If they haven't made any move right now, and teams are so uh, the, the teams that are the most successful, are the teams right up against the salary cap. So there isn't the room to make any sort of team al- roster altering trade unless you're taking, unless you're going dollar for dollar. And that's sort of where the Flyers are right now. So I think what they are is what they are and what they're going to have to move with, win with, hopefully going forward. Yeah, it's got to be dollar in, dollar out. All right, last thing for you, Adam. Um, you do the draft class podcast, mm-hmm. and some Flyer fans are looking to the draft right now. They're going, is it worth it for us to get back in the mix and not really be a cup contender? Is Will we be better served to have a really bad season and draft at the top of the NHL draft? What's this draft class look like? Well, I think this draft class, you know, I, I'm always very hesitant to say, is this a good draft? Is this a bad draft? Because you don't know. It, it takes at least five years from, for, from, in my opinion, at least it takes at least five years to know if the players that you drafted are going to be really, really good players. So, you know, go back five years ago, the Flyers drafted German Rupsov in the first round in, uh, I guess it was 2016. Yeah. They thought they got a steal on him. And, you know, here we are five years later and he's, you know, barely hanging on in the American league. So, you know, it's really hard to judge. Look, everybody's read the the Shane Wright stories, and he's, you know, the next French generational type player, you know, a Jonathan Taves, Patrice Bergeron clone. You know, maybe he is, and I like to think that he is. There's a lot of players who are very talented as 17 and 18-year-olds who are really going to have a chance to be impact players in the NHL. But if you're going to put all your chips on that, that's a really dangerous game to play. You know, it comes down to whether you're picking one or 21 or 101, you got to rely on your scouts to do all the work and to find the best players. Because look, you know, look at what Tampa, look at Tampa last night. And they didn't have Braden Point in the lineup. They didn't have Nikita Kucherov in the lineup. Those guys were not first round picks. They were not first overall picks. They were second round, third round picks. Crazy. You know, so it's, it's not, if it's not where you pick, it's what you do with those picks choosing the right player, developing them right the right way, and then building a winning organization. So however the rest of the season shapes up for the Flyers, if they choose to, you know, try to die for the bottom and, and try to get the number one pick and draft, try to win the lottery, or if they push forward and, and really think they're a Stanley Cup team and try to reinforce themselves that way, you know, their choice is their choice. And then it's just a matter of what happens afterward. You know, are there players in the draft that can help them potentially? Sure. But I don't know if there's anybody that's going to step right into their lineup for the 21-22 season and be, you know, a difference maker, an impact maker. So I think it's, you know, dealing with the present is what they're focused on right now and and turning things around with with what they hope will be a better effort in a win tonight against the Colorado Avalanche. And you see one of those guys on display tonight, you know, in that draft with Nolan Patrick, they pick second overall. Kale McCarr is in that draft. We'll see him tonight. And he mm-hmm. is as dynamic. He may be the best defenseman in the NHL. I still go Hedman, but uh, McCarr. And, you know, you look at this new generation of defensemen with guys like Quinn Hughes, McCarr, these just incredible offensive talents. It's unbelievable. And he is just so good. It's, it's going to be amazing to see. And he's the second best player on the team. <laughs> that's yeah, crazy and, and and their their best player nathan mckinnon is just getting back in the lineup after missing Whoa. a few games with an injury and and he's always a guy looking to go out and be an impact player be a difference maker that top line is is going to be a very difficult line to handle for the flyers tonight with with ranton and landis cog and mckinnon so they've got their work cut out for them they've yeah. got it would have been it would have been a difficult night coming off a of back-to-back playing the second game of a back-to-back even without all the other off ice drama going on around them. So it's, it has a chance to be a very, very interesting night. But again, it's a game that reputation wise on paper, the Flyers are not a bad team. 
This, yeah. They're not a team that's lost eight games in a row. They're not a, a seventh-place team in an eight-team division. They're a team that has the talent to score goals and to play with any team in the league. Just go back and watch their first 10 games. Were they perfect? No, but they produced a lot offensively. They need to get more of that mindset back where they're, you know, playing a little freer, not as worried, not as concerned, relying on their instincts, less thinking, more playing. And I I think that could be the recipe for success that they need. Well, we'll see if Mike Yo can bring this. Adam, I appreciate you're the debut guest on the return of Stick to Hockey and the Stick to Hockey live show. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, Your work is all on NHL.com. It's great. Also, the uh, NHL Draft Class podcast. Give Adam a follow on Twitter at NHL Adam K. We appreciate it, man, very much. Thanks for doing this. Just glad you had something to talk about on the first show. Yeah, no, we saw each other at press box. Like, might have something to talk about tonight. And I said, that's maybe right. even more than we thought. And yes. that turned out to be the case. So uh, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks, Jason. Anytime. There he is. Adam Kittleman joining us on the uh, Stick to Hockey Live podcast, the debut episode. Russ Cohen, our old friend, is going to join us coming up in just a couple of minutes. And so much, you know, Adam said he was – he could see it where Mike Yo coaches basically out the rest of this regular season, 60, uh, 60 games, I guess it is. The Flyers have played 22, I think, off the top of my head. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. There, there's a lot of smoke around a lot of guys' names. And Bruce Boudreaux was one of those guys. And when you saw Elliot Friedman tweet out last night that Bruce Boudreaux was going to be the next coach of the Vancouver Canucks, and then you start to hear some of the other names. And, you know, the other names are obvious. Rick Tockett's name has been out there. Fridge has mentioned that on the 32 Thoughts podcast, that his name was out there and the Flyers were, uh, you know, that was a consideration or something perhaps they could look to. I'm not sure exactly how Fridge kind of termed that right, right at that time. Uh, but, you know, obviously Tockett is a name. Just got into the Flyers Hall of Fame a few weeks ago. Uh, did a good job in a very difficult situation in Arizona. Then you look at a guy like John Tortorella, who's working on the set of ESPN right now. He, here's, you know, Jim Montgomery is with the St. Louis Blues now. He was the former coach, obviously, of the Dallas Stars and had some uh, personal issues that he had to deal with and some demons he had to fight and did that, uh, but was a really good coach in Dallas uh, before Rick Bonus took over when Jim Montgomery was uh, terminated. So there, there's options out there. Where do they go? What is the options? Is Mike Yo a legitimate option? Or do they turn to a guy like John Tortorella or Rick Tockett? And wh- where's the upside with each of those guys? Now, with John Tortorella, I think, I think part of the consideration when hiring the next coach also has to do with the consideration of the goaltender, of Carter Hart. Because you have to make sure that this kid does not get ruined. And part of that is the next coach needs to be one that doesn't incur a ton of risk defensively in an effort to create offense. And we know John Tortorella has been a guy that preaches shot blocks and a guy that preaches playing the right way, much like Larry Brown, as I was referring to with the Sixers. He's got one way you play, and that is total balls to the wall all the time. And it's about the team. It's never about you. It's about blocking shots. It's about taking bruises. It's about doing those little things. It's a, it, he's not going to settle for guys uh, not spilling it every night. He will call out every player if they don't perform to a standard that he holds, which is very high. Now, the interesting thing is people go, you would think the way kind of the way he conducts himself that he'd be a guy that players would hate playing for. But from what I understand, that's not the case. Most guys love playing for him. And he's a guy that pushes them very hard, pushes them to uncomfortable places. Is he a little bit of a bully in, with the media at times? Yeah, absolutely. But who cares about that? You know, some pe- that turns some people off. Whatever. I don't give one-tenth of one shit about that. I don't care that the guy gets gruff with the media. And, and I, as a, I'm a pseudo-media guy. Like, that doesn't bother me. I want a guy that goes in there, and there's accountability. There's protection for the goaltender. There's, you know, some certainty in environment for the goaltender. Because you're not going to go anywhere unless you have that. And John Tortorella is a guy that uh, I I could see as an absolute option. Now, some people may be rolling their eyes and going, dude, seriously, you want torts? You're crazy. 
Uh, I don't think that's a bad option. He's had success. So uh, he's a guy that I absolutely look at. Rick Tockett's a guy, uh, obviously has less uh, experience than John Tortorella, has less success than John Tortorella. I mean, Torts has won a cup. He's been a, a really good coach in the NHL. Tock doesn't have that same level, but it doesn't mean that he's not the right guy. And you don't hire Rick Tockett because he's a former flyer and because he was a former flyer that was rough and tumble. That that has nothing to do with it. That's not a reason to hire your next coach. The reason you hire him is because you think he's the right guy. For now, when he played the game, and he played it for, geez, 20-some years, uh, you know, through different eras, he played it an honest game. And he coaches an honest game. And he's a smart coach and, and all of those things. But you're not hiring him because he played here. And you're not hiring him because he was willing to drop the gloves at times and, uh, you know, was was that kind of player. You don't hire a guy for the player he was. You hire a guy for the coach he is. It's like, I mean, Wayne Gretzky was not a great NHL coach. He's the greatest player of all time. But just because you were a great player does not mean that you will be a great coach. So that's not why you hire him. All right, we're going to get to Russ Cohen in just a minute. Let me tell you everybody about Park Sportsbook because they're a great sponsor here of Stick to Hockey Live. And uh, I'm so happy to be joining up with them and partnering with them both on Stick to Hockey Live and also on the Odd G's podcast with Harry Mays that will debut coming up tomorrow. And you got to go and get the, the Sportsbook app because it's so easy to use. And even for people that aren't tech savvy, like you don't need to be a wizard on your iPhone or your Android or whatever to be able to figure out how to do live in-game betting. It's laid out there so easy for you. Easy deposits, easy withdrawals. They're local. You can trust them. You can get the $500 risk-free bet right now. And it's the time because, you know, old school ways of, of getting action on games was betting money lines and puck lines in hockey or, you know, just straight straight bets and and parlays but there's so much more now and with the with the great park sportsbook app you can get in on the action there's actually a few games that i like tonight uh, anaheim's playing washington tonight i don't like that game uh but the game that i really do like tonight is vancouver with their brand new head coach bruce boudreau who was hired last night is home taking on the los angeles kings and they are minus 125 vancouver i'll take vancouver i'll take that money line and as I look here on my sport, Park Sportsbook uh, uh, page, I'll take Vancouver in that game. Pittsburgh tonight is in Seattle, and I'll take Seattle. They're actually playing a little bit better. Pittsburgh's coming off a win, but they've been struggling of late. They're on this West Coast trip, so I'll go Seattle. So two plays for you tonight. I think there's, what, six games tonight. Yeah, there's Anaheim, Washington, Colorado Flyers, Arizona, Dallas, Los Angeles, Vancouver, Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Ottawa, New Jersey. I'm going to stay away from that game. I'm not going to put good money on two bad teams. So I'm going to go with uh, Vancouver tonight as a home favorite at minus 125. And I'll go with uh, uh, the other game tonight that I like is, is obviously uh, the Seattle Kraken tonight. I'll go with Hack tonight. In honor of Elaine Vigneault getting fired, I'll go with a former Flyer coach uh, that will get the job done against uh, the division rival Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, Elaine Vigneault terminated and I'm trying to figure out how to look at the AV era here in Philadelphia year one, be an effing flyer. What he, what he said in training camp that year. And they had a, a kind of an okay start, a good November, a horrific December. And then like January 6th through the end of the season to the pause, they didn't lose back-to-back -back games. Matter of fact, they didn't lose back-to-back -back games from January 6th all the way until the second round of the playoffs against the New York Islanders when they went down three games to one, but ultimately forced a game seven in round two of the playoffs. But his record in Philadelphia, 147 games, 74, 54, and 19, a 568 win percentage in the playoffs. He went, uh, I will call it seven and six. They listed as 10 and six because they had those three round robin games against the lightning the Bruins. And I'm trying Pittsburgh was the other team, I believe. And those games didn't really count as playoff games. They count them on NHL reference, but I don't count them. Because uh, they really weren't playoff games, so seven and six in the playoffs, one around, but then obviously came back last year. It was an utter mess. Part of that was COVID. Part of that, I don't know all the elements of what that was, but it was an absolute mess last year. Never got cleaned up. Came into this year, got off to a solid start. I wouldn't call it a good start. I wouldn't call it a great start. I call it a solid start to the season. 
even though they, they, they beat some good teams and they beat some good teams early in the season, you know, beating, uh, uh, you know, the Boston Bruins early, uh, beating a team like Edmonton on the road and winning in Vancouver back to back. And then, uh, you know, beating the Washington Capitals two to one on that Saturday night in DC, you know, beating Carolina coming back in Carolina down one, nothing after a period and getting two third period goals and winning that game two to one. And then, obviously the stretch of eight games of late and things were just trending in the wrong direction. This team is not in a position right now that they're so far out of it that you just pack it in for the year. It, I mean, you look at the wild card right now in the Eastern conference and the flyers are, are not that far out. There is time. It, it seems weird to say with, you know, when you look at, Oh my goodness, there's, an eight game losing streak, but th there is time for them to turn it around. They have to start out ASAP and we'll see if Mike Yo can put the jumper cables on everybody and get them going tonight. But joining us right now, you got to check out his stuff at sportsology.com. It is the one and only Russ Cohen, Russell, Jason, how are you? Stick to hockey's back, man. I love it. It's live though. It's okay. We could have never did it live before. Cause no, no, we needed editing. For at least yeah. self-editing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you're a guy. You're very familiar with Elaine Vigno, both as oh, yeah. the Rangers head coach and the Flyers head coach. And were you kind of shocked today, or did you see this no, writing on the I wall actually, last night? I did a, a an update post game for a Lockdown Flyers broadcast. Something else I do, and I basically told people to keep refreshing Twitter because you know this was going to be it for for Elaine, and I didn't know when. And so I had a feeling this morning was probably going to be the time. I went back and, and thought about this. I know you're a guy who likes to reflect, so I did too. And the one thing I came up with, and you could tell me if you agree or not, you know, in the bubble, Elaine could control everything, right? Players were all going to be there. You know, COVID wasn't a problem. It was kind of a little bit like the old NHL in that regard, other than you're in a bubble and you never travel. Then last year, he kept complaining about the 56-game season, not enough time to practice. And, of course, this year that didn't matter, right? But there wasn't enough time to practice. I don't see the reporters. Things are still different. So now we're back to this year where it's still not a regular NHL season from like five, six years ago because you could lose players the night, the night before because of COVID. All of a sudden they test. You've got to change as a coach. And all of a sudden your lineup changes. I think his adaptability is, is off now. I don't think it's, it's where it needs to be for today's coach because the whole league has changed. Yeah, we're playing the same amount of games. But so many things have changed, even the post game, right? He used to be able to get away with, yeah, we had a lot of good looks out there. And he still was pulling that off even last week. But when you lose a game 4-1 and you say there's a lot of good looks, somebody with analytics could come and point that out, that there really weren't that many in about 10 seconds. And then when you say, well, you know, a lot of the things, you know, we're playing both sides of the puck and these kind, all these kinds of things can be proven now with graphs and schematics and just your eyes too. And so I think he fell into the trap where, you know what? Fans just weren't buying it after a while. They knew what they were seeing on the ice. They were looking at other reports. We know he sees the same stuff, but he was giving you a different result. And it never turned around for him. His hope was, hey, it's going to turn around, right? So if it turns around, nobody remembers any of this. It's okay. Things are going right. And when it didn't turn around, that was it. He had no answers. And Mike Yo's a Chuck guy, right? Mike Yo. Chuck called him and asked him if he was even interested in being an assistant because, you know, he had him in Minnesota and, and Yo said yes. So it's not surprising that he's going to him for whatever amount of time as an interim where AV and Terry and now we kind of know they really were joined at the hip and that's why AV never got rid of Terry but he should have like he should have, if, if, if he, if he was going to realize that his job was in this much jeopardy, he should have, gone to Chuck and said, listen, I'm replacing Michelle Terry and it's not working here. And it's not, I mean, it's 31st power play in the league, but he didn't do that. And I think that was his fatal flaw. Yeah. And, and it seems like every coach gets terminated. There is one of those loyalty things or some yes. fatal flaw or some connection, some area they're not willing to go. One of the things that areas that he wasn't willing to go to probably Russ and led to this is the system that he runs and I, I don't call it just system I say it's a belief system it's a core belief system at uh, the 2124 check and it just doesn't seem like 
he had a the pieces to to run it properly, and there's a lot of risk that comes with it, especially when it's not run properly. And then B, uh, the belief system from the players that this was the proper system to execute in the NHL that they could have success with it because you just see it just wasn't working. I mean, I mentioned it a, a couple weeks back that you could just see it was getting the forecheck was getting beat with one pass out of the zone so easily, and then the other team's going the other way, and you got two forwards caught deep. It was just obvious, and he just didn't seem amenable to trying to change anything, even after he said, we're going to have to win games one to nothing or two to one, which we know that was tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, that was tongue-in-cheek. Uh, yeah, the two-on-two is interesting because after a while, it just looked like dump and chase, and they didn't have fast enough guys to get to the puck first. And yeah. if you don't have fast enough guys to get to the puck first, you can't hold on to the puck in your zone, and you don't have any zone time, and you lose it. Now, Yo wants to play a different system. He's probably going to cycle a lot because he wants to hold on to the puck a lot. But again, how many players does he have that benefit that system? And, you know, I've been getting in trouble here because, you know, I've been saying if, if Zach McEwen is your favorite player or best player in the game, your team's not very good. And Flyers fans always hang on to the players that they see giving great effort in times of bad in, in, in bad times. And so now McEwen has become like one of their favorites, but McEwen never scores. He sometimes will hold on to the puck. He sometimes will get it near the net. But if you don't have a true finisher on the fourth line, which they didn't have all year, it's going to be like any other fourth line. You put it out there and you're not going to get any results. Yeah, you're never going to outscore, you know, any other line as the fourth line. Like, right. like it's nothing against Zach McEwen. No. It's just that in hockey. He's a depth NHL player. That's what he is. Yeah, you a guy that was picked up off waivers. You can't have your best player be a fourth-line player. You just can't. There's, no. that's not a, and, and you can't win in this league not scoring more than three goals since, um, I believe it's October. Yeah, October 27th was the last time they scored more than three goals in a game. Did you scratch that on your wall? Is that where you had that? No, I have the schedule here, and it was against okay. Edmonton. It was the fifth game of the year in the first road wow. game. It's been that. I mean, Ross, that's almost hard to do. In a league where you can get goals off a guy's ass, you know, just throw it at the net and it goes in. I mean, even the goal they scored against Tampa was like a Jerus sauce pass that Atkinson just kind of redirected. It wasn't some right. you know, strategically offensively. They they just didn't look like they knew how they wanted to attack the opposition. No, but you know, there's always things like, like we're gonna. I'll bring up JVR. So JVR is supposed to go to the net. If you want to look at a guy in the league who goes to the net and it pays off, it's Chris Kreider, right? Oh, He's yeah. got most of his goals that way. Yep. JVR could have a lot of goals with just the same players on the team if he was willing to do that. Now, a lot of times he's hanging in the bumper. Maybe sometimes he's by the side of the net. He never goes to the front of the net anymore. He used to, and he used to get a lot of goals. Now we're talking about his defense. Oh, look, he's a much better defensive player. But you're paying him $7 million to score goals. And, you know, the other, the other narrative that I'm really kind of sick of is, and we're already starting to see it, is, with Claude Giroux. So Claude Giroux is not the problem with this team. He's not the problem that made them not win a cup. There are plenty of great players in, in every sport that have never won a championship. Dan Marino never won a championship with the Miami Dolphins. You can see my Jets thing up there. I know about Dan Marino. Trust me. <laughs> and nobody's going to say he wasn't a great player. You know, Giroux won a gold medal with the World Junior Team in 2008. Like, he is a winner. The problem is he has to have other winners around him and other players that are going to go to the to the lengths that he is going to go to make things a winning environment. And nobody is doing that this year. There's very few players that have a lousy day on an off day because they're losing. You know, they're, you know if there's we know that they care, but they're not pissed off enough. That's really the, the answer. Yeah, the, the the pissed off part ends when you pull out of the parking lot. Yes. For some players. And, you know, people will say, though, well, Drew is the captain. It's incumbent upon him to hold his teammates accountable. That's all. That's like a nice thing to say. These are professional athletes. Yeah. You either give a shit or you don't give a shit. Yeah. Right. And if if you if you're going to be one of those guys like there's. Chris Pronger wouldn't have grabbed anybody in the room and had them all of a sudden caring if they were one of those players that doesn't care. It doesn't right. doesn't work like that, especially in today's athletes. It, it it's kind of they are what they are for the most part, and yeah, I see it the same way. Giroux's not part of the problem. It, he's been a guy that game in and game out has been the most consistent this year. I see mm -hmm. very few spots where I go, yeah, he was an issue tonight. He did have a shooting problem when they were all losing confidence and was missing the net, and I never saw Claude Giroux miss the net. But yeah. that's probably the worst extent of his play, really. 
Yeah, and if and if that's your biggest gripe, like the, tomorrow, I don't watch this team and go, oh, he's part of the problem. One right. of the things I do, I did watch though, that was part of the problem for me, Russ, is so many young players. We just talked to Adam Kimmelman about this too. So many young players not taking a progressive step in the last two years. Whether that's, that's Travis Konechny, yeah, that's a huge problem. Provorov, it's a big problem. Sanheim, big problem. Konechny, big problem. You know, Farabee's only in year three, but and he's streaky and goal scorers are, but I can't have him going through that, you know, get to a decent level and then regression. That's a that's a big part because that's the future of the team. Right. And how's Lehigh look? They look horrible. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna start dumping on Ian LaPerrier now, but there's not much else. And they're so injured, it's insane. I mean, yeah, they still even even at times I watched a lot of video on them this year, and power play doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, they're another team that doesn't score enough. They had some output. You know, they have some games where they're scoring five goals. Uh, defense, not the greatest, should be better. Goaltending was really good. Like, considering how good their goaltending was, they should have had a lot more wins. Um, but player development hasn't been good for, like, two and a half years. Provorov, as an example, um, I don't care if you get the occasional turnover from Keith Yandel, he should be running the power play. Ivan Provorov struggles after like 30 seconds on the power play as to where to go with the puck and the other team knows it and he's very predictable. And I think for a long time he could shrug that off. And I think in the last couple of weeks, he hasn't been able to shrug that off and it's affected his five on five play. Where now all of a sudden his decision-making five on five isn't great. And I noticed that Corey Perry of all people, he's what, 37 years old. He was getting the inside step on Provorov in the crease, and Provorov couldn't move him out. He slipped him a couple times. Yeah, yeah, that that can't happen. You're no. absolutely right. And you know, there's the detail of play. Russ, do you think a big part of this too? You know, and whoever the next coach is going to be, Yo's going to get a little bit of time. I don't know if he's going to get the remainder of the season. I I tend to doubt that. That's just yeah. my gut feeling on it. I think there's smoke around too many other guys' names including yeah. John Tortorella, which brings me oh, to this Oh, that point. would be a disaster here. <laughs> I think the fan base would love him. I do think the fan base would love him because he would speak to them, but I do think he'd be a disaster. I wow. don't. Well, the yeah. one thing, though, that John Tortorella brings is incredibly high levels of accountability. Sure. And, and he preaches defensive environment like no other coach in the NHL. And part of this is you got to make sure that this goaltender doesn't get ruined. Right. And I think he would do that. I think he's gotten better with goalies, but I also don't think this team has the defensive base that John Tortorella would be happy with. And I don't think Chuck could clear that up in the next week or so. You know, another disease, I'll call it a disease that the Flyers suffer from, was the same thing with Peter Forsberg when he used to get injured a lot. They were always waiting for Forsberg to get back in the lineup. You'd hear it from everybody, players, GM, coach. The announced crew, everybody, and Chuck even said it today, it'd be great if Ryan Ellis were in there. He's not. All of a sudden, with Ryan Ellis never in the lineup, we're back to that, hey, it's like Peter Forsberg again, and it hinders a team when you don't have that guy there. So honestly, if I were Mike Yo, I would completely redo all the pairings as if Ryan Ellis isn't a member of this team anymore because yeah. I don't know when he's going to be back, and I've got to start getting something going now. Yeah, you can't be just sitting there going like Clint Eastwood's going to walk through the door. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? You yeah. can't. You absolutely can't. It's, it's if you're not available, I can't plan for you right now no. until you. I'll pivot when you are. Because I think but, don't you feel like that. everything was temporary in those defensive pairings for a while? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, it was the fingers in the dam. Yeah. But, you know what the worst thing? I'll tell you the thing that horrified me at a press conference before the season. Be no, it was after the season began, but early on, early on, AV. I want to say a couple, about a month into it, when they got Nick Seal or something like that. And he said, yeah, I think he, he's, he looks like he could play about 50 games this year. And I looked, I said something to the guy next to me. It was probably Anthony Mangione. And I'm like, if he's playing 50 games, they're not winning. Yeah. You, you can look, it's the next man up mentality is cute. It's a great thing to say. And it, and it can work for a couple of games or a week or two weeks. Yeah. But eventually... There's guys like this is nothing against Nick Sealer. No, he would be an everyday player if he could handle the role, but he can't. And there's a reason why guys make more money because they're suited to handle that role. When a guy like Ryan Ellis is not available, it's going to have effect. But, you know, talked about this with Adam as well. Uh, Ivan Provorov shouldn't be in a position at this point in his career where he's partner de dependent. Yeah. And so 
let's talk about the power play and Jake Voracek's loaded with power play points. He was getting some here. There's no question, but he did have to leave. And I know everybody wants to go back and pivot back and say, but what about Jake Voracek? We had him since he's gone to power play stinks, but Jake Voracek's mind wasn't good here anymore. He needed a change. It yeah. didn't matter. If Jake Voracek were still here, they'd be 28th in the league instead of 31st. Yeah, they'd just be able to enter the zone better. He was a great zone right. entry guy because he's a great skater. Well, there's they something seem- else. So zone entries. Yeah. So we did hear AB, you know, casually talk about it, never really fixed it. But there was something, if you watched them against the Rangers, I was at, I was at MSG, you know, earlier last week, middle of the week, that Wednesday game. So if things were breaking down, Adam Fox would just take the puck up the ice and yep. do it himself, make something happen. Same thing with Ryan Lindgren. Nobody in the Flyers was doing that. It was yeah. always three passes, four passes to try and get in the zone. And you know what? Sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you got to have somebody get the puck and say, you know what? I'm not seeing what I need to see. I'm going to make something happen here, and I'm going to get into the zone, and I'm going to have guys get drawn to me, and that's what's going to make something happen on this play because guess what? It's not working. Yeah, Nobody and I'll get that. in. And I'll get in the zone deep enough, pull up around the hash marks, and then we can set up properly and execute a plan. It just didn't seem like they had a plan. When did you see that happening? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Not in a long time, Russ. I mean, watching them execute on the power play, it was like, okay, even if we did get, even if they did get in the zone and get it set up, it was, okay, how do we want to attack? And it didn't seem like anybody was on the same page on how they wanted to attack a a penalty kill. So, no, it's true. It's, you knew when they got the five on three um, against the Rangers that it was more of a punishment than it was yeah. a positive. It felt and like it. It did. And, and, but the, and the issue is, you know, we all have these different theories as to why the offense stinks, right? But we've seen enough, of ga- enough games and covered enough games that when the power play failed them, it was like pulling the plug on the team sometimes. Yeah. Motivationally. Oh, big time. Yeah, it was so deflating. Yeah. And even if a power play doesn't score, it can be something that grabs you momentum in a game because you can yes. impose your will or you can dictate the terms on the ice, and they just weren't doing that enough. Well, Russ, who the hell knows? <laughs> what the heck's going to happen? We're in an interesting time now because – It, it got real started. interesting today. Oh, yeah. It got real interesting today because I think there will be some changes, but it's not like Mike Yo could just change the team overnight – Maybe he gets a different message in their ear. Maybe he does ease up on connecting and say, you know what? Maybe we did ask you to play too much defense. Now you can uh, be yourself a little more. Because Konechny, when he's mad at other players and he's pushing around other players, he's scoring when he's doing that. He hasn't done enough of that. Exactly. Uh, He didn't look like he was too interested in defense when he flew that zone last week on that Lawton backhand. (laughs) Holy cow. And he protected him on that. Yeah, he did. yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fail there. Um, you know, Lawton's got to get yeah. that out, but it's it's a low percentage clear on a rolling puck on a backhand too. And, and right. Konechny had a, had a jet pack on his rear end. <laughs> he was yeah. out of that zone. So he's like, oh, he's like too. the Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yandel too with the um, the Carter Hart clear. Yandel's like, I'll just hang over here, and when you get this clear done, I'll pick it up. And it's like, how about to help your goalie? You yeah. made him come out like twenty five feet to yeah. make that clear. Well, it did get just it just got real interesting and there's real important decisions to be made and we'll see how it plays out. Russ, thanks for doing this as always. always I appreciate fun. it, man. We'll All be right. talking soon. There he is, Russ Cohen on the Stick to Hockey Live podcast. And uh, let me tell you about Parks again, because they're our great sponsor here of Stick to Hockey Live. They'll be our sponsor tomorrow for the OGs podcast with Harry Mays, which I can't wait. It's gonna be so much fun. Our first guest is gonna be John DeBella from uh 102.9 wmgk and we're going to talk tons of tons of interesting topics rock stars everything and you know the park sportsbook app is so easy to use it's a great opportunity for everybody to get involved in the games in a different way what do i mean by that it's a way to watch the game and have a little skin in the game and you know when you bet a game sometimes you know that my bet's crap already it's done it's over because my team's not going to win. They're not going to win the game. They're not going to be able to cover the number. They're not going to cover the puck line. But in-game betting is great because you can go, okay, that bet may be done, but let me bet who's going to score next. Let me bet who's going to do this or who's going to do that. 
And you can do all that with in-game play-by-play betting. So you have to check it out. Go on your app store on your phone, on the Park Sportsbook app, download it, check it out. If not, go to parksasinos.com slash PA. Go on online, check it all out. Check it. It's easy to use. You do not need to be a savant on uh, from a technical standpoint with your phone, your iPhone. Your You don't need any of that. It's so easy to do. You just bring it up, boom, hit NHL, find the games, click on the game. You find all the different ways and different things you can put on the game, and you're in great shape. I got mine right here, as a matter of fact. I got tonight's card sitting right there. And if I just click on, let's see here, let's click on the Flyers game, Flyers Avalanche. And there's all game combos here. Match the winner and total goals tonight, including overtime and shootout. Flyers and over six and a half, plus 410. You want to bet that? Go ahead and do it. How about, uh, let's just bet goal scorers. Let's look at that real quick. Miko Rantanen, plus 850 to score the first goal of the game, plus 112 to score it all in the game. Let's find some flyers here real quick. Cam Atkinson to score tonight. To score the first goal in the game, have a plus 14 hunch for Cam Atkinson. Scored last night. Plus 215 to score in the game. Giroux, plus 1,500 to score the first goal or last goal, plus 240 to get a goal. Russ just mentioned Travis Konechny. Plus 1,500 to score the first goal, plus 230 to score a goal in the game. So check it out. It's so easy to use. And log on now and sign up now, and your first bet is risk-free up to $500. So check it out, parkscasino.com slash PA, and also check out uh, the app. Just download the app. It'll be real easy to use. Got it right here. It's very simple, not complicated. I am not a genius when it comes to technology. So make sure you check it out. All right, that's going to put a wrap on the first episode of Stick to Hockey Live coming up on Thursday. Brian Boucher will join us. We also have Kevin Woodley booked to come up on a future episode from Ingle Magazine. We'll talk to Boosh on Thursday. We'll talk to Woody coming up, break down the goalies, break down the Flyers goalies, break down the NHL. We're going to go all around the league as well. There's a ton to get into here on Stick to Hockey Live. So, everybody, thanks for watching the first episode. I'm so excited it's back. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. Tomorrow, an episode of Ajis with Harry Mays and myself. Everybody, have a great Monday. Enjoy the hockey tonight. We appreciate it, and be well. And we'll talk to you on the next Stick to Live Hockey Podcast.